back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by UPMentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is physical therapist, physical preparation coach, and Van Halen diehard, Bill Hartman. Bill is the co-owner of iFast and is one of the leading physical therapists and sports performer coaches around today. Bill is a practitioner with the Postural Restoration Institute and Active Release Therapy, and he also holds certifications as a certified strength and conditioning specialist from the NSCA and as a performance coach with USA Weightlifting. Bill also sits on the board of directors for the International Youth and Conditioning Association. Bill regularly works with athletes from high school, collegiate and professional levels in a number of sports. On this episode, Bill and I discuss many things including Bill's background and influences, Bill's rehabilitation and training principles, PRI of course, misinterpretations around proper breathing mechanics, the biggest mistakes and lessons learned so far in Bill's career, Bill's top resources, Bill's life advice for all the listeners, IFAS University and much more. This was a really great episode guys and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay Bill Hartman it is an absolute pleasure and an absolute honor to have you finally on my podcast. Just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are which I would say is probably nobody. Uh, just fit us in your background Bill. Uh, well I am the co-owner of Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training here in Indianapolis um, also the owner of iFast Physical Therapy. I've uh, been in the industry, if we can say industry as one as a whole, as far as rehab and fitness and training. Actually, I was, I was thinking about this today, um, knowing that we were going to talk, and it's like 30 years, actually. Holy moly. Yeah, my 30-year anniversary is coming up. I've been a, I'll be a, a, I'll, I've been a PT for uh, 25 years in May. Wow. Um, so I've been a lot of places, I've done a lot of things, and um, spoken at least nationally here in the United States, and uh, I, I got to hang out with you a little bit, so does that count as a, as a, something to be uh, appreciated? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm flattered to be here, too, because uh, I, I, uh, I see when, when, you, when you throw up a new podcast and I, and I give them a little listen, and it's like, you got some really cool people on here, so I, I am I am privileged and honored to be here. Yeah, yeah, and just filling the listeners, uh, I got to spend just uh, two days at iFast last uh, last June with Bill and Mike, and it was it was absolutely brilliant. So, and Bill allowed me to sit in on, on one of his uh, one of his PT sessions, and it was just. Uh, now I won't lie, like Bill was with, with another gentleman called Michael Err, who's an absolute gentleman too. Mike used to do a bit of work with Coach Vermeil and the Bulls, but. It was just amazing just to watch it. Really was. I can still remember the lady. She's some hip pain, I think, hasn't she? And she, it was it was amazing though. It was amazing. Um, Bill, just uh, a question I love asking uh, everyone that comes on the show is uh, in terms of influences, who have been the biggest influences on you, not only as a professional but also in your personal life? Wow. Um, I'll tell you what. Let me let, let me go. Let me go two different directions here. I'll give you. I'll give you two two really favorable ones and I'll give you one kind of a negative one which which is which is still powerful cool. um, most most people won't even know who I'm talking about there was a guy in, in uh, physical therapy school he was one of my instructors and is dr. Joe Santius Saban and and Joe was a huge influence on me at least getting me started as far as like the type of a 
type of a student I wanted to be and, and type of a physical therapist I wanted to be. And, and, and he was just a very cool human being. Um, he was self-taught in orthopedics, if you can believe that, and, and uh, um, freely gave of his knowledge. And, and after I graduated from PT school, he actually uh, pulled me back to Indianapolis um, to actually work with him, which was one of the coolest things ever. So I got to work with, work with Joe for a couple of years and actually became friends versus the, the student um, you know, instructor relationship. And, and so just a very cool human being, but taught me a lot about you know, always, always being the student, always looking for the next thing, always trying to get better. And, and so I really, really appreciated that. Another positive, obviously, I think, and, and if anybody's read anything I've done or, or seen me speak or whatever, the influence of, of uh, the Postural Restoration Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, probably for the last six years, we've been implementing um, those principles into everything that we do. And um, my, uh, my good buddy, uh, Doug Kachijan, threw up a, a, a Twitter post the other day, and he, he just gave them a little thank you for giving him the ability to help a patient that he probably wouldn't have been able to help before. And, and, and I, I mirror that feeling that, that there's some people, you know, that we would have turned into what I call fat chart patients, the patients that just have to keep coming back and coming back and not getting better and not getting better. You know, PRI has, has helped me tremendously in, in just finding other ways to help people that I couldn't have helped before and helping me to recognize things that, that I saw before but didn't know what I was looking at. And uh, so those would be my positives. And then on, on a negative note, um, I'm not going to mention his name because he shouldn't be mentioned, you know, in public. Um, I actually worked for a guy that uh, basically taught me how I didn't want to be. He was, he was dishonest. He was disloyal. Um, out for himself kind of a thing and so I've had that experience too but it's just as valuable as all the positive experiences that I've had Definitely. Um, you know and, and uh, you know once I got out of that environment um, there was just a moment of clarity that it's like I never want to be that guy and, and I've made an effort not to be that guy and, and you know if, if you get around you know you've been around us a little bit last year and you know, we're, we're very pay-it-forward people, and uh, I, 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 I try to, to promote that with every student that I have. I have a student every semester, you know, and, and I try to just make sure that they understand that I'm not asking you for anything back for anything that I can teach you or, or help you to move forward in your career, and all I want you to do is, is do this for somebody else, and, and I think as long as... You know, we we do things like that. Everything works out really, really well. And and uh, but but thankfully, I went through that mm. that horrible experience, and uh, you know, it came out better on the on the back end. So those would be my biggest influences. And from a from a personal standpoint, who would you say? Oh, geez. You know, it, it's tacky. My mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean. She's she's superwoman. She you know raised four kids and um, she's eighty one. She's totally independent in living. She swims twice a week. Um, she's only been sick two days in my lifetime. You know, um, can't say enough wonderful things about her. She's been through a lot. Um, you know, I think we're influenced by everybody we meet, though. You yeah. know, like every time I have a student, you know, I get better at what I do. I get better as a as a as a person. You know, mm. um, there's a lot to be said for just being nice to people. 
Yeah, it's like that's it's like that saying. It's it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I can't you know to pick out one person that that you know. There's so many different aspects and to to your life and the and the way you interact with people that, that everybody has an effect on you. I think and and it, while there are certain people that that stand out, certainly you know that we got to appreciate everybody. Yeah. Everybody's influence on us it matters. Yeah. So. I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, man. No, but, uh, no, I mean, that's absolutely, that's absolutely perfect. And just, like, one thing I just wanted to, to, to carry on with there was that, you know, you talked about the students that come, and and one thing that seems very obvious to me is that, like, the, the people who have, the guys who, the guys, and I don't know if it's been girls, but the people who have interned underneath you, like, they, they just seem to walk away with such kind of, like, the word that always comes to my mind is love. They seem to just have such love for you and Mike and IFAST and, and like, where, where did that sort of, that, that kind of, I don't even know that you mean to be, but where has that sort of ability to be such a mentor, where, where has that come from? Did you have someone like that in your life as well? I know you mentioned some, some people there, all right? It, yeah. It, it, I, is, I, I, is it from those people that you mentioned, this need to pay it forward and, and be a mentor? And you get such, like, even when I was there at IFAS, you could just see how, how close you and Mike had gotten. I mean, Mike had only been there a few weeks, but you could already see that the level of respect of, that you both had for each other. Yeah, but again, first first part is, is just being nice and, and then being responsible, taking responsibility for yourself and yeah. and yeah. understanding that, that you have a responsibility to to impact other people in a, in a favorable way. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, am, I put myself in a situation where I, I am now the mentor, I'm the instructor, but that doesn't put me above someone. Yeah. You know, they, they deserve my respect, and, and you know, it, they are put in a very difficult situation. Anybody that interns at, at IFAST in the gym or with me understands what it's been like. It's a tremendous amount of work, mm. and we understand it's a tremendous amount of work, but we're also providing you with a, a tremendous amount of education and experience in a very short period of time, mm. and so there's a level of intensity and uh, um, study time and and work and just the the menial jobs that that, that the interns experience um, is is very hard and it's very humbling, and you know in return we just want to make sure that they're taken care of, mm. you know, and we have adopted this this uh, this premise of family anybody that comes through our facility is part of the family yeah, yeah. and we all take care of each other and, and if I if I could offer you this we, we have some of the coolest human beings that have ever been been through our facility that were that were interns and it, it, it warms my heart when I see pictures of them on Facebook or wherever and I know that that our guys are getting together. They didn't know each other before they came through IFAST. They were never there at the same time, mm. and yet they have a shared experience that brings them together. So, you know, I'll see pictures of like, you know, Connor Ryan, Doug Kachijan, Zach Couples, Eric Otter, um, Mike Err, and you know, all those guys. Sarah, uh, Doctor Doctor Sarah Martin, um, you know, uh, Joe Cicinelli, Pete Cicinelli, all those guys getting together just socially whenever they can or they're helping each other out, they're helping each other make contacts with, with other professionals, or they're finding jobs for each other. 
Um, you know, everybody's helping everybody else. Everybody's everybody's living the principle of pay it forward, and 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 we take care of each other. And that's just an amazing, amazing thing. And I don't know if we intended to do that. Um, it's just something that kind of evolved a little bit. Like I said, just by being nice. Mm. I mean, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a, a unique atmosphere at IFAS. I can attest to that. Bill, the the another question I always get um, people to to uh, try and answer for me <clears throat> uh, is with regards to the uh, rehabilitation and performance professions. What are the good and not so good things you see within these fields? And with the not so good things, what solutions would you give towards them? So that the good and not so good. The good and not so good. I mean, the good is that we're still trying. We're still trying to get better. Everybody's trying to get better. The research is trying to get better. Um, you know, we've got, we've got really good science, really good science available to us um, that's, that's obviously still evolving and, and will continue to do so forever and ever. Mm. Um, but uh, I think the drawback is we're still not good at applying it. You know, the, the hardest thing to, uh, to research is a human you know, because we all have individual experiences and individualized perceptions and to try to create a homogenous group of people and then try to extrapolate any kind of information that's, that's useful in a clinic is very, very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have to kind of rely on, on our, on our foundational science. I don't know if the foundational science is appreciated. I know it's, I know it's taught every time I get a student, I know what their curriculum is and I know what they've been exposed to. But I, I don't believe that they have an appreciation for how the foundational sciences apply yeah. to everything that we do uh, in in the, the rehab setting. Mm. So so that might be the, the biggest you know drawback. Um, they're taught really good science, but when it comes to the application, I don't know if it's if it's uh, being um, translated into the application as well as it could be. You know, simple things like. Uh, understanding energy systems for, for a physical therapist. They, they don't really think about that, but you think about the influence of the aerobic system on, on our, our rehab outcomes and how people produce energy and, and why they might be uh, functioning in more of an anaerobic state versus an aerobic state, which can influence you know how they move and things like that. I don't think that's appreciated. I don't think that's, a, that's emphasized enough. I, there's a lot of, you know, learn it for the test, pass the test, you know, pass the board's exam, and then you can go help people and learn something. Versus, I think we we, we can get better at applying the science, the, just the foundational science. And I'm not talking about like the isolated research. You know, if you look at some of the the research studies, it's you know you think about trying to create a homogenous group of people to, to do a research study on. And I, I read one not too long ago that, that the the um, the the group that they were studying was people with non-specific low back pain. And I don't know how you can possibly group, uh, uh, any group of people with non-specific low back pain, think of all the potential influences that could put people in that category and then try to treat them with, with some, you know, in some controlled atmosphere and, and try to produce a, a, a useful outcome. I just don't know how that works. So, so it's very difficult to do that. So we have to fall back on, on our foundational sciences. Being science-informed or research-informed, perhaps, um, is, is maybe a better influence versus calling that research evidence. Um, because the evidence is in the is in the treatment room, and you know you've been there a little bit, you understand a little bit of mm. kind of how things work and, and how things evolve during a, a treatment sequence. 
and everybody changes a little bit differently. So it, it's it's very difficult to apply, you know, a lot of the research. So again, that that might be the drawback. The, the good stuff, like I said, we've got really good people. The the students that I get exposed to, and and you know, I can't vouch for anybody else outside of my own little world, but the students that I get exposed to are hungry. They really, really want to get good, and, and, and I have such an appreciation for that, um, that they come in and they just, they just work their butt off, and if they continue to do so, that they're going to be the people that are going to evolve this profession and change this profession. Um, you know, so that would be the good and the bad. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah. With regards to your... Uh, main principles that drive your rehabilitation philosophy what would your answer be to that so what are the main principles that drive your rehab philosophy like right now I mean, you know the PRI is a, a really really strong influence mm. um, you know it, it's the foundation of movement for, for us you know when we look at, at how we, we do things in our facility from a rehab standpoint transitioning them into fitness um it, in my mind, it, rep- it gives me the best representation of of reality of of human movement, you know, versus what I call dead guy anatomy mm. that we were taught in school. You know, they 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 were looking at a guy on a slab and they tugged on this tendon and tugged on that tendon and said, "Oh, this muscle does this, this muscle does that." And the reality is, we function in three dimensions at all time, and so do all of our muscles and and joints. And so, PRI provides me. Uh, that understanding, and I, I, I probably told this story, you know, a million times, is that you know we saw these patterns that were arising in in our our assessments, and uh, didn't really know what we were looking at, and PRI provided those answers. So, so of course I get excited about it and dig deeper and deeper and deeper into that system, and uh, um, it it has provided us uh, a very powerful influence. Um, and as far as a rehab philosophy, you know, looking at the whole human, not looking at people as a diagnosis, you know, uh, it, it, they're not a painful knee, they're not a painful shoulder, they're just a human in a, in a potentially patterned situation that they can't get out of, and they, they lose the capacity to vary uh, enough to alleviate stress and tension and pressure, and, and therefore they become symptomatic, or then they, then they destroy tissues over time, um, even though we know that... T- you know, tissue destruction may not even influence their, their their painful situation. So I would have to say that that's by far the biggest influence on on my approach. Yeah, it's it's funny too. You you said you were seeing these these common patterns. I remember before I got exposed to PRI, one thing I just constantly kept seeing in the shoulder mobility screen of the FMS was uh, everyone's right arm in terms of extension, internal rotation, and uh, adduction was always worse. It was always worse than the left, no matter if they were right-handed or left-handed. And I was right. like, why every time? Like, and I, I, I got to a stage where I'd be like, hey guys, watch this, I predict that this side is gonna be worse than this side, and every time. And it was only until I learned about, you know, the that, that posture or the brachial chain, and it made so much sense in terms of PRI. And then the, the, the one of the first times I actually heard you speak about it was on Joe Heider's um, sports rehab expert tele seminar you were on with oh. Charlie uh, Joe Heiler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember you you said something, and this really this was what provoked my interest in PRI was you were talking about the left TFL. <laughs> you were yeah. like you were like I used to kneel that left TFL, and I'm like I'm kneeling the left TFL. What am I doing wrong? And then you were talking about you know the whole like the the, the whole obviously the ad, adduction drop tests and and the fact that you know it's bone on bone, it's pelvic position, it's not actually muscle, and I was like huh. 
this makes so much sense. I got to stop needling TFLs. But it was just, it was, I remember when he said that, it just was something that resonated so much because I, I was getting guys in all the time and I, I'd poke the TFL like, oh yeah, that's it. And I'd be like, oh, I'll just needle this and it'll be great. And then it just, when you said that, it was like, you know, it was like a, a ah, you know, pure aha moment. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, in So just, obviously I ask you what, what were your principles that drive your rehabilitation philosophy? Same question now in terms of training because obviously I, I think a lot of people see you as purely just a physical therapist but I mean you've been a powerlifter you know you've you've been a strength coach so uh, like I, I like to talk a little bit of training with you too so what are your main principles that drive your training philosophy and, and obviously PRI is a, is, a found, is a foundation to that but if we went a little more into like you know training principles biomotor qualities energy systems or, or how, how just basically how do you develop a badass in the gym <laughs> Uh, it, it this is the the worst answer of all time. It depends, you know. It's like it, what we have to go in with though is this what I would call a unified unified theory. We we have to understand that, that we have this this massive interaction of every system of the body yeah. to produce movement and power and capacity. We can't separate anything out. We always have coordination issues. We always have tissue related issues, elasticity issues, energy issues force production, rate of force development. We always have to consider these things. And so what it comes down to is having at least a general understanding of, of, of all these entities you know, as separate qualities, but it's the integration of, of putting everything together that ultimately, as you would say, makes a badass because we just have to understand who this person is, and that mm. starts with our evaluation process. Yeah. You know, yeah, we've got PRI that underlies all this stuff. That's our movement-based... Uh, approach, but as we evolve, we have to understand that for somebody to perform, any system uh, that we take to a, a perceived threshold uh, of tolerance is going to result in some change in the way that they move. So if you look at fatigue, like look at the impact of fatigue, which I think is one of the biggest impacts of, of all, yeah. you know, we're going to lose motor control, pick, pick a joint, pick you know, pick an area of the body that that's been studied, fatigue it, and we lose motor control. You know, so that's going to alter movement. So then we're going to start to see patterning again. So again, that's interaction of, of energy and elasticity and and force production and strength. Um, you know, we just had a big discussion um, last week that turned into a uh, um, a component of of our IFAST University content this month about. You know, overemphasis of strength training because I think there there is an element of that 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 becomes prolific in our our industry as as we get these younger coaches getting involved because strength's easy to measure, it's easy to coach, um, and and so we tend to you know do a lot of what we're good at, mm. you know, possibly ignoring some other factors that a lot of our our clients and athletes need. So you know, I don't have like a a, a set curriculum that that you know every client would go through. We're we're lucky because the environment that we've created allows us to individually assess every single person that comes through our door. You know we're not. I I, I, I applaud the coaches. We we talked to the uh, one of the strength coaches in the NFL because the combine was here recently and uh, we had we had some dinner and it's like you know I applaud those guys because you know they'll have ninety guys come into camp. That they, that they have to work with. And it's like, you know, the, the challenge of 
trying to provide the best possible environment to, for those guys to um, you know, produce their performance is, is just incredibly difficult because a lot of it can't be individualized. You just don't have the time. You don't have the personnel. So you know, in, in our respect, you know, somebody walks in the door and, and, and they're N equals one from the, from the get-go. You know, we assess them individually. We've got a pretty extensive assessment system that allows us to look at everything from foundational movements to explosive movements. Um, you know, we, we, we value strength, but we don't overvalue strength. Um, we value the ability to produce energy over time. Um, so, you know, I, I can't really say that, that there's like this one thing or this one system um, other than the fact that, that you know, we're going to address you as the individual. We're going to find out what you're really, really good at. We're going to find out what you might be lacking that might impact your ability mm-hmm. to perform. And, and those are going to be the things that we're going to emphasize. No, that's, that's the exact answer that I wanted in that. You, you let your you let your uh, assessment drive the, the 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 program design for that specific individual that's exactly, right. that's exactly I think I think the one thing that, that that would always concern me and and some of this is I, I think it's it's the necessity of, of, of promotion on the internet you know guys looking for their their piece of the pie kind of thing is that they they have to like sort of evolve themselves in a singular camp you know yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. a bell, bell guy I'm a powerlifter guy I'm a you know, we're not that. We're not that at all. Mm. You know, we're we're a what do you need to get better guy, and and you know that's you know that demands that you expand your understanding of, of all the different facets of uh, of of the the supportive training to produce a performance. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a sort of a, a saying that I love. It's uh, the only dogmatic belief you should have is not to be dogmatic. <laughs> <laughs> like an, an oxymoron you know but uh th- that presentation on on um ifas uni it was ty terrell's one I, I only just watched that the other day it was fantastic and by the way for the listeners uh if you're not on itunes university like i literally every like literally when it's the first of every month it's only been out four months i'm like i want to see the new material it's just been brilliant and uh your your uh presentation on the balloon blow up last month was so funny <laughs> it was really funny yeah, you like that? yeah i did it was excellent it was really really good you know and i love i love education that's you know that that's it, it has humor to it too like it, it, it you know like it's it, like i want to watch it you know that kind of way because it's just the way you deliver it's just excellent so um so far i'm loving it but but ty's presentation was absolutely brilliant and and i'm actually reading franz bosch's book and and franz talks about that you know the overemphasis of strength and really talking about you know elastic reactor strength elastic property so that's very very interesting area and just you also spoke about that you know strength we kind of get some people get like caught in this box of you know strength easy because we can measure it and i spoke to brian mann yesterday or on wednesday actually i interviewed brian mann dr brian mann and awesome guy. He, he was awesome. he, he was just saying that um like i i kind of saying the good and bad like the question i asked you and, and he believes that like uh one of the bad one of the not so good things rather than bad things is that we kind of do focus on these single sort of isolated things like strength and power and then not realize or ask the question is this actually transferring to the athlete's sport performance and he believes right. that's going to be a big area in the future and that like you know really what are we doing is what we are doing helping this athlete at their sport okay like grand their squat went up but did that really change anything in terms of sport performance so definitely right. agree on, on those points which is yeah well if you want to if you want to find out or if you want to recognize something that we're not really good at and that's actually measuring that that principle of of are we transferring it yeah because we just don't know i mean yeah. we, we have performance-based tests like a vertical jump or yeah. a you know 12-minute run or 
pick pick any performance test that we have, yo-yo tests or something. You know, but the reality is, is that's not the sport. Yeah. You know, yeah. we don't know. We really don't know if we're helping people. Yeah. You know, um, we can we can measure what we can measure, and then we, we kind of hope for the best, and then we we track our our metrics to make sure that, that that we're seeing changes. But but the reality is, it's like transfer is one of the hardest things to measure. Very hard, and it's funny. It's only lately that I've started to come around to this idea because if you'd spoke to me even a few months back, I would have been like, my job is to bring up these physical capacities and biomechanical qualities that help support your sport performance, and that's it. That's my job done. I was really like, look, I made you faster, I made you stronger, uh, I made you more powerful. You know, my job is done here. Whereas I didn't have any appreciation for like special strength training and transfer, and I'm starting to realize that. As you said, there's just like such little information out there about Dr. Bondarchuk stuff, and that was kind of like the cinemal work on it. And even at that, it's still very like you know gray area. And I'm starting to realize my job isn't done once I've brought these physical capacities up. I, I need to look at this whole motor control and transfer aspect to the sport. So it's Absolutely. it's very very interesting. That's, hard. Oh, That's very hard. Very hard. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know you spoke about PRI and I know I sent you questions beforehand and I hope they don't get too redundant but one question I'd really love you to address for the listeners is just around the concept of breeding because okay let's say you know 10-12 years ago nobody was talking about breeding and then breeding really really came in maybe about 5 years ago but what I found with breeding was everyone was like alright it's all about the diaphragm breeding in your chest your neck is all wrong you shouldn't be breeding in your chest apical breeding is a bad thing and really now it's kind of gone back to the center again so my question is some think that proper breeding is only using the diaphragm and that any chest ex- chest expansion is wrong is that the case bill or is that a very oversimplified model of breeding I, well I, I certainly think it's oversimplified um, think about this think about all the potential positions postures and movements that you can produce in, in whatever I mean if you're a break dancer or a gymnast or I don't know, pick something, we have to breathe yeah. in all of those positions. So we should be able to breathe in, in, in all of those positions that we're trying to access. But what if you can't, you know, that's, that's the, 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 the issue. So I, I have to be able to breathe into my chest. I have to be able to expand my posterior mediastinum in the backside of the rib cage. I have to be able to, you know, have a diaphragmatic emphasis when I need to recover or rest, um, but to, to you know the, the chest will expand, okay, as the lung fills. Yeah. So for me to get apical expansion of the lung, the chest has to expand. But here's the thing: that lungs fill from the bottom up yeah. when we when we breathe in. If you look at the the sequencing of like external intercostals, the way the abdominals maintain the the rib cage position as you breathe in. You know, if, if we're taking in a, a, a uh, larger breath, the chest has to expand. Mm. It's normal to expand, and that's what we want to see. Now, if we're trying to drive um, chest expansion through extending the spine, that's where people run into trouble, and that would definitely not be um, the goal because now you're looking at accessory muscles. However, however, under stressful circumstances, that might be the way that you breathe. Mm-hmm. But we want to have the capacity to change the way that we breathe based on the circumstance. The problem that we run into with breathing is that people come in patterned. They are uh, functioning in a world where perception of stress is very, very high. And so as they become patterned, the accessory muscle activity to produce 
their quote-unquote normal breathing at this point gets locked in. And so we see the overuse of escalians, or we'll see you know, over-recruitment of, of lats and, and spinal extensors to, to extend the spine, throw the lower rib cage forward, because that's where we can expand the rib cage mm. and actually get air in. As we re-educate, we want to see this nice uniform expansion that starts in the lower part of the rib cage and expands up into the chest. So we have to be able to expand the chest. People lose that capacity, and that's where we start to see the deficits that, that you'll identify in, in your PRI uh, evaluation in your algorithm. Yeah, yeah, because I think, <clears throat> yeah, I just I, I think too we got sort of real like any chest expansion is is like is a bad thing, and again it was just like an oversimplified thing. Another question that I really wanted to get your take on was you uh, you went to a Lorimer Mosley uh, seminar last summer about explain pain and, mm-hmm. and this whole area around pain research and pain perception. What what were your big takeaways from that, or, or have you integrated anything that you learned from that weekend into your practice? Yeah, it, it was it was a, a massive reinforcement. I, I've already taken explain pain with David Butler. Yeah, and, and you know if you first of all read that book, you know for everybody everybody in the whole world read that book um, so we can have appreciation of it. Um, I, I think it was just more of a reinforcement. There was a couple of updates in regards to you know, how some of the, the, the peripheral nerves would, would change under certain circumstances that, again, because the, the increases the sensitivity to, to uh, epinephrine and, and such, but mm. it was just more of a reinforcement of every principle in explain pain. And, and I, I think that if you... They, They've got that second edition out um, on that book, and if you read that, I think you're going to walk away with with almost as much. It was just fabulous to, to, to be in the same room with the guy and listen to him, and you know, he's he's got his what I call his Stairway to Heaven stories, you know, where you, you go to see a Led Zeppelin concert and you want to see him play Stairway to Heaven, and you know, you go see Laura Mosley and you want him to tell the snake bite, you know, and yeah, then yeah. Yeah. Head shark stories and stuff, and so it's just enjoyable to, to sit back and listen to a guy that is so smart, and he was so open to um, uh, commentary and questions. And you know, you think that the, the guy walks in and he'd have this rock star mentality because of who he is and what he's done, um, you know. But but uh, um, if you if you read the books and and you read his stories. Um, People will walk away with a tremendous amount of useful information. Yeah, I, I, I have uh, physicians who are my patients, and you know, you just give them the simple explain pain talk, and and it's not part of their reality. They don't get exposed to those things, and they don't really even understand how pain works, even in their own patients. And so they default to structure. Yeah. And, and they say, well, the structure says this, you know, oh, you have a bulging disc and, and it just happens to be in the general vicinity of where you complain of your pain. Well, that must be the problem. Let's stick a needle in it and see if we can, we, we can make that better. And in some cases that's necessary, but, you know, certainly don't want to default to that, you know. And, and I think, you know, premises like that, that you learn from, from the book and from listening to the lecture. And um, I think, you know, uh, if you go to Larry Draper's uh, site and you download um, his uh, pain talk that he did when he was in Los Angeles, very similar to, you know, to what we got in in Boston. Um, another yeah. helpful resource. Great, great uh, But but yeah, just uh, just a fabulous, fabulous guy, and and obviously very intelligent. 
Uh, a question I really wanted to ask um, was what are other areas that you would like to invest more of your time into learning in the future and why? Because I know you're, you're, a, you're a very holistic minded guy and you're always looking at multiple fields that seem far removed from physical therapy. But as you mentioned earlier on, you mentioned the phrase, this sort of unified theory of, of everything. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know everything, man. That would be great. You do, um, you do know everything, Bill. <laughs> no, I don't. Trust me, dude. You have... It's, it's like you know the old the old adage is like the the more you you learn the more you realize you don't know. Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a we, Eric Otter and I went to a, a, a PRI course a few years ago. We were driving to the airport, and uh, it, it was it was it was one of those courses where we walked away with with a, a really really deep understanding of things. And uh, are you there, Robbie? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay, I just my computer made a noise. Um, and, and so we're driving in total silence after this course that, that was very impactful on, on thought process. And, uh, you know, I had this moment where I turned to Eric and I, I said, I said, you know, you know what the biggest problem is now? And, and he said, no, what? And I said, I said, everything matters, hmm. you know? And, and, uh, like really after that, after that course, then the, the expansion of, of, trying to get deeper outside of what we typically um, study, you know, from a rehab perspective became important, that like deeper understanding of embryology so we understand how things, you know, evolve in the structure of the human and the influence of, of patterning or, or um, asymmetries and lateralization became very, very important. Energy systems became more important. Neurology became more important. So, you know, for me, like right now, the focus is trying to draw on more resources and integrate them into what we're doing. So, um, digging back into the foundational sciences has just been like like a like a, a trip and a half. It's been kind of fun, actually. You know, creating a little bit of a curriculum for myself and, and drawing on you know just the the old neuroscience books and my exercise phys and and just getting deeper and deeper into those those subjects and then. Saying okay, now knowing this, how does this fit into the bigger model? How does this impact everything that we do? What components of the model does it influence? Now that's where I'm spending most of my time as far as my self study goes, because we just got to get better at integrating. Because like I said, everything matters, and the more we can understand that and integrate it, um, obviously the better our outcomes are going to be. It's funny, you're you're. Another person who said something similar in terms of going back to the, the you know the original science and it's actually something I've done over the last year to eighteen months now. Like I realized about eighteen months two years ago, I was like I, I just and you kind of touched this earlier on with the students, like they get taught this science but they kind of forget it then. But I, I've just realized that my fundamental science needs to get better. So I've gone back to biology, I've gone back to the exercise phys books and I've gone back even to uh, some pathology books as well and medicine too and I suppose what I actually did one night was I just wrote down on a piece of paper human in the middle and I was like right if I want to know everything about a human what do I need to know and I started just writing down anatomy physiology and then and then I always made it, I made this asterisk beside it and said don't forget you have to understand the, the environment the human's in too so you just can't take the human but you have to understand the environment it operates in so then it was like you know nutrition circadian rhythms it's mental emotional relationships with everyone and it's just like you said in that car journey home fuck we need to know everything now <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not about sets and reps and loads, is it? It's it's more about the, just the interaction. You know, you hit on the, the environment. It's like people don't really grasp that concept. You know, it's like in my little rehab room, 
where I will function most of the time, it's, it's very guarded, it's very protected, you know, I, I got the walls painted a certain color so people react a certain way, and, mm. you know, once they leave that room, then they have to interact with this, this chaotic environment, and, and uh, um, you know, people don't appreciate how impactful that can be and how it affects every system, and, and uh, the, the more we understand that, then we can provide strategy to, to our, our patients and our clients and say, hey, you know, under these circumstances, maybe it behooves you to, you know, um, influence your, your position this way, or hey, why don't you knock out a couple of breaths next time you feel this way, and um, little things go a long way just by understanding some of that interaction. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it, it's funny you actually mentioned that about the walls in your treatment room. I, I, I actually sensed that. I was like, I wonder has he kind of painted this way for, you know, something to do with the, the client's perception. So it's, it's interesting too because it's a, it's a, it's a lovely, uh, unique color sodas in your, in your treatment room. Yeah, I got that actually from my, uh, um, another therapist. I, I used to work in Florida many years ago back in the mid-90s. And uh, I went to see this guy's clinic. And and it, it I I thought it was freaky back then. I thought it was just like ridiculous and hippie-ish and because uh, you, you know you go into the clinic and the, the walls are painted this like light lavender color and you can smell lavender in the air and if you paid attention you could hear this new age music floating in the background and all the lights were were down low and and um, he was really ahead of his time actually yeah. as far as trying to impact the state of the human that's coming in into a rehab facility. It was, it was just like one of the most comfortable places I've ever been in. But you know, like I said, my young skull flamesh at the time, I'd only been out of school maybe three or four years and didn't really appreciate, you know, the, the, the broad scope of impact that the environment does have on how we perform and how we, how we move and how we feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it, it, that's where I got that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny too, like, as you said, kind of the people kind of don't appreciate the environment. I also think people kind of don't understand what we mean by environment. An environment is just essentially any sort of external output that can impact the input of the human. So, you know, like things again, like nutrition, sleep, circadian rhythms, environmental toxins, mental emotion health, your exercise, all those type of things. But another person that really made me appreciate like the environment and our relationship to it was the philosopher Alan Watson. He has this great talk where he's on stage and he's trying to he's trying to get the point across that you can't separate the human from its environment. And he walks across the stage and he says to the audience, "What am I doing?" He has this beautiful English accent. I can't do an English accent, but he's like, "What am I doing right now?" And like everyone's like, "You're walking." And he goes, "But how do you know that I'm walking?" And they're like, "Because you're walking." He goes, "No, because there's a stage behind me and there's a floor underneath me." And he says, "The point is, you can't separate the organism from the environment. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to tell that I was a man or that I was human." So he's he's just basically you need to understand the environment to understand the human. So I just thought it was such an elegant way of putting it. That's really cool. I like. Um, the question I always love getting uh, people to answer is, "What are the biggest mistakes you've made in your career so far, and what what are the biggest lessons you've learned as well?" Um, how much time do we have left? <laughs> We've about twenty minutes. Okay. Jeez. Uh, um, my, my short answer in regards to how, mistakes that I've made uh, is all of them um, so far, and uh, I, I, you know, to to like pick on like one. Um, doesn't provide enough value. Let me let me offer you this. Yeah. There there's two types of mistakes I think that that really impact um, our interactions with our with our clients and our patients. And those are those are uh, mistakes of c- 
commission and mistakes of omission. Okay. And early in your career, your goal should be to minimize mistakes of commission. You're always going to make mistakes of omission because you don't know anything, right? Your knowledge base is limited, your experience base is limited, so you're always going to leave things out. You're always going to miss things, and that's just expected. Early in your career, though, you want to minimize stakes of commission, and, and stakes of commission result from trying to uh, do things beyond your understanding, beyond your abilities to provide a translation of information that you do understand to someone else through coaching, because um, and, and, that's where the risk is. Mm. You never want to put people at risk, and I think we've all done it, um, not intentionally, I hope, um, but by tr just trying to, I don't know, early on, maybe you're just trying to, to show people what you do know or how good you are, um, and but those things need to be minimized. Mm. Um, you would hope that after 30 years of doing this, that my mistakes of, mistakes of commission have been um, exceptionally minimized. I hope they are. I, I really hope they are because I, I really don't want to put anybody at risk at this point. Uh, um, and then my mistakes of omission should be fewer and fewer and fewer as well. So there's this evolution for everyone that, that goes through this industry as a profession. Um, and, and, and I would look at it from that perspective because I, I think we've all made the same you know errors, like errors in judgment of how hard to push somebody or you know I shouldn't have done that exercise or maybe I used the wrong manual technique on a patient or you know, um, challenge somebody too hard. You know, those are the things that, that we look back and we regret and we kick ourselves and you know, we kind of make fun of ourselves from 20 years ago. If you're not making fun of yourself from 20 years ago, then you probably haven't evolved and you probably shouldn't be in the industry anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Seriously, I mean, come on. Still... And, and, and honestly, and, and I'll do respect to, to I, I've been exposed to, to some of the greatest practitioners I've ever met and great coaches, but there are just those that, that are they're comfortable with the status quo. They yeah. think they know enough. They get by. They still get paid because they show up, and and that's a that's a disappointment. Um, scary. You know, it is scary, but but the the goal is to constantly evolve in a favorable way, mm. so that the mistakes of commission are eliminated and the, the mistakes of omission are minimized. That's great. And and you know I, I I again I've made every mistake possible. I'm sure. Um, but can we really look at them as mistakes if we didn't hurt somebody and we learned something? You know, does that does that qualify as a mistake? Maybe not. I think it's just a matter of okay, I learned something today. Don't do that again. You know, you can, you can flagellate yourself later, I suppose. Uh, yeah. You know, for, for making the mistake and, and dwell on it and brood and all that. But you know, learn from it. Don't hurt people and get better every day. It's it's kind of like you mentioned at the start, but the influence on you and you spoke with the negative influence. I mean. Yeah, you could look at that and say, "Oh, that was a mistake," but really, wasn't a mistake because it it, it was part of it was part of, of part of your growth and development as a person. So it was a necessity in the long run, really. So right. you're, I, right. I, I I get what you mean by mistakes. It's like, is it really a mistake if I learn from it and it's made me a better person because of it? Exactly, exactly. So you know, I don't like to. I mean, I, I beat myself up enough for the little things that I do that I that I regret, you know, and. Uh, I'd rather just look at it as like, okay, how do I how do I overcome this? How do I get better? How do I never do this again? You know, mm, 
Exactly. So that, that, that's how I prefer to have the perspective. So when, when I was at the, the, the gym, the IFAS gym in Indianapolis, you know, I, I went into the office and I'm very similar to yourself in terms of like, I'm sitting right here now at home looking at my two massive bookshelves and there was this just beautiful bookshelf in the office and I was like, oh my God, look at all these books. So just for the listeners, I sat down in this chair and I started going through these books and then this gentleman walked in who was Mr. Bill Hartman and he'd never seen this Irish guy, he looked a bit funny, smelled a little bit funny, he had funny food with him and then he's like, who's this guy sitting in my chair looking at my books? And <laughs> I, 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 It was quite intimidating and, and so I, I was just like, but I was just so overawed by your library. So the question is, what, what are your, your top resources for all the listeners, coaches and practitioners? And it doesn't just have to be towards books, even though I know that you love your books. It could be courses and DVDs and et cetera, et cetera. But what would your top well, my, resources be? Yeah. I mean, my PRI bias is pretty strong. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got to throw that one out there because I, I just appreciate those people so much for what they've done and, and how hard they work and, and the information that they have provided me whether, whether you agree or disagree, um, and, and certainly there are, there are many roads to Rome, yeah. um, but again, as, a, as a, um, a philosophy and a foundation of thought in regards to, you can hear my dog in the background. It's all right, it's okay, I don't mind that. But, um, but as, as a philosophy and a foundation, it, it, it is, in, in my estimation, a, a, an essential source to seek out. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if we talk about books, my gosh, there's, there's tons and tons and tons of books. Um, but, you know, get yourself a really good neuroscience book like Candell's yeah. Science, yeah. Uh, neuroscience book. Get yourself a really good medical physiology book like maybe Boynton. Um, and, and if you have those two resources, you have a tremendous amount of power um, in the science in those books alone. Yeah. Um, they'll take you forever to get through, and that's okay. Um, you know, we have a, a, a sort of like a series of, of pop side books that we recommend in regards to like the nervous system and the brain and movement and things like that. So like uh, The Brain That Changes Itself, On Intelligence is, is a book that, I always recommend because I, every book that I read in regards to neuroscience has, has an element of that book in it. Yeah. Um, my favorite book of all time, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, uh, is is killer. I probably read that. I don't know. Five I, or six times. I, I swear to God, I'm currently reading that book right now. I'm on chapter. Where? Wait, hold on. Give me one second. I'm just reading. It. I'm on chapter fourteen. I'm on stress and depression. Awesome. Awesome. So you haven't read Immunity yet. Uh, no, I've gone. Yeah, I've gone past immunity. Yeah, I've gone past okay, immunity. Okay, okay. I'm trying to remember. That was one of my favorite chapters. So yeah, well, uh, my my favorite chapter in that is the one on um, how stress affects the embryo production. And that was yeah. Th- oh, that cool? Yeah, it was, it was so cool. And things happen like two generations later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, adaptations in sports training. Oh, Viru, oh, great book. Yeah. Um, I think that's from like '95, and it's still solid. Um, really good book. Really good book. Great book. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, those are the biggies. Um, Body is a mind of its own. It's a great little book. Um, I'm one uh, brain dead here, dude. That's all right. Even even if you if you think of more, you can just send them up put them in the show notes. It's yeah. great. But coaching but, uh, the brain and mind. Oh. Oh. Huge book. Huge book. Say say that again. What was the title? Oh. 
Coaching with the Brain and Mind. Never heard of that I one. I think it's David Rock. Wow. Who's the author? Um, oh, what's another little bit? Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. There's another little bit here. Um, anything by, what's your name? Amy Brand, B-R-A-N-N. Very brain-oriented, but great coaching stuff. Um, Neuroscience for Coaches, that's what she wrote. Yeah, that was a great little book. Um, yeah, books like that, um, as, you know, your ability to communicate ideas and, again, to translate your understanding of things to someone else through coaching, um, that's neuroscience at its best. And, and if you can understand a little bit about how maybe somebody else is perceiving what you're telling them, mm. um, it will be impactful. Yeah. Um, in regards to your outcomes, so uh, I like those little books too. Yeah, I'd say you, you mentioned the brain of change, so I've read that Norman Deutsch's book. That, that was an excellent book. So yeah, I'll definitely yeah. Sure. Neuroscience for coaches. I'll definitely look into that one. That's that's great. Book. Yeah, it's a great little book. It's, it's it's not a tough read. It it, it sounds scary because the word neuroscience is in the title, but she does a great job of, of breaking it down. And it's not for like sport coaches or anything like that. It's more just like like a personal coaching styles but but you're going to take away a ton from that book great great stuff we're, we're almost done here just final question is mm-hmm. um in terms of life advice what would your top life advice be to anyone anyone listening and this this can be anything can, can be doesn't even have to be with regards to our our specific professions could be anything to do with like spirituality or meditation or you know anything at all um don't get married don't have kids don't buy a house <laughs> There you go, folks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, that, I usually throw that one out there for all my students to start with. Um, and the reason I say that, the reason I say that, and, and, and I'm, I'm obviously, it's a half a joke. Um, <laughs> I think that you need to be well-formed as a human being before you consider uh, sharing your your life with someone else and and having made that mistake myself wow, that's, great uh, that's, a, a, that's just you know it's the free life advice you give when you're just sitting around doing nothing and uh no just you, you really need to be as, as much of a complete human um as you can be yeah. before you decide that that you're gonna make a, a leap like literally sharing your life with someone else mm. and um you know, I don't want to get all mushy on that, but that's that's a. Uh, I, I feel strongly about that. You know, you don't have to be perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect, and don't expect perfection in anyone else. Um, my my secondary, my corollary to that little bit of advice is uh, never propose unless you've been together more than two years. Hmm. Because then then you've got all the I love you hormones out of your system. The honeymoon period's over. So, yeah. so like you know, the, when the oxytocin is flowing, um, and you get a charge out of just like holding the hand of your significant other, you know that's chemistry. That's literally chemistry in your body that makes you feel that way. Yeah. And you got to flush that stuff out of your system before you're ready to make that lifetime commitment. So you got to wait at least two years for that to happen. There's another hormone shift at seven, so that's the old seven-year itch. But uh, if you can. You know, create a foundation of a relationship, and, and it lasts for more than two years, and it's still passionate, and uh, you know, you, you still find the, the annoying things kind of cute. Then you're probably okay. We uh, we we always say to any of our friends who are in long term relationships or who are going to get married, <clears throat> we always ask, "Can you fart around her yet?" <laughs> <laughs> 
and if they, if they say oh yeah I can I can I can blow arse around her no problem we're like oh it's true love then it's true love well that's measurable then I suppose <laughs> yeah it's, it's an objective measure so it is that's our objective measure for that you know aerobic development good strength good you know uh, relationship with the wife he can fire around her it's good he's in good development there <laughs> so uh, Bill just wrapping up here um, where can people find out more about you if they want to get in touch um, IFAST University is probably going to be the best place right now. Um, the, the website has a ton of information on it um, when you join, but uh, that's going to evolve. It's going to be probably a hub for a lot of us. Mm. Um, and then um, BillHarmon.net's always up and running to some degree. depends on how hard I'm working as to what I put up there and, and how often. Um, but those would be the two big places probably. Just with the, just with IFAS University, can you just give it a little bit of a summary? So what happens there? Every month, new fresh material comes up. It's like two to three videos and some PDFs. Right. So, um, gosh, I don't even know how many how many hours of content it is is a month. It's probably um, somewhere between you know two and a half to four hours of content. There's mm-hmm. written stuff. There's some business ideas on there every month. Um, basically, it's 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 our cumulative staff, you know, teaching you what we do. Um, teaching you our perspective, uh, and it's been and we interact on. We have a private Facebook group that we interact with, so so you can ask questions directly about anything. Um, we don't hold back any information. There's no secrets. Mm. Uh, total transparency as far as what we do and 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 how we do things. So it's it's actually really really cool. Um, we're excited about it because it's evol- constantly evolving from our perspective as well. So, so uh, we have fun with it. Uh, it's it's been actually like the, the material I've seen on it so far has been unbelievable. Your presentation on the squat in the first month was just brilliant. It really, really was. And uh, Jay uh, or um, yeah, it was J- Jay did a great presentation on coaching cues. Rightly, so I loved it. He he had this beautiful cue for and all the coaches listening know this. We all have those clients who just sag in their push ups, and he had this great cue called uh, "I've got an, what the, an, an Ebola needle." He's like, "I have an Ebola needle." <laughs> I, I have an Ebola, an, an Ebola needle underneath your belly button. Don't let me touch it. So it brought the person back into more of a posterior tilt and neutral spine in their push But it was just so funny. Yeah. Or uh, he had this other cue of like, you know, push push uh, push the floor away or push away from me. Or, or And he'd say, like like all the women in my life have done, they pushed away from me. <laughs> Jay, Jay is a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant coach. And he has evolved all of his... his his uh, coaching cues himself it is it is amazing i want him to write a book about it because it's so cool um you know interacting with a client is one of the hardest things we do you know communicating with people and and finding that that common ground and a rapport and and jay is literally a master of that yeah um he's been with us for a long time and and to see him evolve as a coach and then like i said to evolve the way he interacts is is truly amazing that's it Bill Hartman, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your uh, an hour of your time today. I really, really appreciate it. I know you're a super, super busy guy, and uh, we had to reschedule this as well during the week, and, and I just really, really appreciate it. So just stay online for like literally 40 seconds while I wrap this up, and I'll say my goodbyes to you. But um, guys, what an absolute brilliant hour of education with Bill Hartman. The guy is an absolute gentleman, um, an absolute genius. I know he'll, he'll, he'll say that he's not, but he is, really is, and... and a true gentleman in terms of paying it forward to everyone and I really appreciate the hour. So for everyone listening, guys, keep supporting the podcast by subscribing on iTunes and sharing these podcasts around on all the social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, etc. But for now, take care. I'll talk to you soon and stay strong.